Genesis Church Podcast. We all have those moments in life where we just can't figure it out, right? We get to this point where we are struggling to to figure out if we can make this work or if we're just going to give up because it's just not working no matter how hard we keep trying. I was watching a video this week because I just needed a little bit of humor in my life. And I was watching this video and it began to make me think about what I would be sharing today. So I thought it would be good to share it with you because I think it kind of shows what a lot of us feel like in life. So check out this lady in this video. have those moments, let's just be honest, where it feels like we're trying and we're trying and we're trying, and no matter how hard we try, we keep ending up in the same spot, and the spot that we're in is not the spot we want to be in, and so we struggle. We struggle to figure out if we can actually get it right, if we can do it right, and because we keep failing, we give up, we toss in the towel, we just move on, and that's where the enemy wants you. He really wants you just to give up and try to move on and try something else instead of actually figuring it out. I would dare to say there are a whole bunch of people in this room today as there was in the first service that feel like I'm struggling to figure it out. I don't know what it is in your life, but you're struggling to figure it out right now. And there are a bunch of people that watch every single week online and they watch with us from all over and they feel the same way. As a matter of fact, we have some guests here I just want to point out, and they're, they're right back here, uh, that watch us every week online, every single week, from Salem, Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia, from Maryland. This is uh, Joe and Elizabeth Bivens family. They're with us. Would you just thank them and welcome them here today? When we say people watch every week online, we truly do mean it. And they're not only watching online, they're commenting and interacting. And today's one of those rare occasions where they get to be in service with us. And so that's pretty cool. Um, but, the, but no matter if they're watching online, no matter if you're sitting in this place, we have these moments where we can't figure it out and we're stuck. And we also have these moments in our faith where we feel like I'm trying to figure out this thing called Jesus and, and this thing called Christianity and, and this faith that I'm claiming and, and I feel stuck. I feel like I'm running in circles. I feel like I'm trying and I mess up. I feel like the woman in the video, I'm just doing circles. I feel like I'm pulling the car up to the gas pump and I can't figure out how to get fuel in the vehicle. And there are many of us that if we were to be honest, we feel like we are lacking some spiritual fuel in our life and we can't figure it out. We're stuck, and no one wants to keep struggling like that. When we can't figure out life, no one wants to stay there. Or when you can't figure out marriage, no one says, hey, I, I want to keep on going this way. 
when we can't figure out our future. No one wants to live in that confusion. My prayer and desire today is that you get some clarity about Jesus. You get some clarity about faith, that something changes in your life that has never, ever changed before. You begin to figure this out a little bit. If you have your Bibles or a phone or a tablet and you have a Bible app, turn with me to John chapter 6. If you are um, taking notes, this is a great opportunity to do so. I'm going to back up to John chapter 5 for a few moments and let you kind of know what's happening so that when we land in John chapter 6, you kind of have a backdrop to the story and you kind of see what's going on. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a lame man, a man that, that has been crippled a man that has been laying by a pool of water for most of his life. And when Jesus heals him, the religious people get mad because he heals them on the Sabbath. And the laws of Scripture said there was no work supposed to be done on the Sabbath, on a day of rest, and so they're angry. Later, Jesus begins to claim he's the Son of God. And so now they're not just mad at him for working on the Sabbath and healing this man who needed to be healed. They're now mad at him saying he's blaspheming God to claim that he's the son of God. And it says they want to kill him. So Jesus begins to speak to these people. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, this is what he tells them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes. There's a bunch of us here today who go, I wish it was that easy. I just hear it and I believe it. But if we were to be real, that's not easy. We hear it and we doubt it. We hear it and we don't always trust it. We hear it and we reject it. And so he says, listen, when when you're trying to figure out whom I'm claiming to be and what I'm doing, there's some things you need to understand. And you can hear it, but you've also got to choose to believe it and trust it. And so he tells them a few verses later in verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures. You you have the scriptures. You know them because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says to a bunch of religious people, you have the words of God. At this point, it was the Old Testament. It was the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. He says, you have the scriptures. They tell you who I am. And you are searching them because you're trying to figure this out and find this thing, eternal life, what it really means and looks like for you. You're searching for it, but here's the problem. Although you're searching, you refuse to come to me. You refuse to actually come to me so that you can figure out what this is really all about. There are a bunch of people that refuse to come to Jesus all the time. They wouldn't say it outright, or maybe they do. This isn't for me. That's your thing. I'm not religious. That's your your belief. I I don't know if I want to claim that faith. All these types of things. And there are also those who hear it who just refuse to obey it. We know it. We hear it. But we refuse it. Jesus says, listen, you're refusing to come to me. And there are some of you, this is what you would say. Well, that's not me. I'm in church. I'm in church today. I could be anywhere else. 
I'm in this place of faith, this, this, religious, faith, this religious place. I come to church. I occasionally open my Bible and read it. I even, I even, I even sing when Johnny and the team comes up here. Like, I do all this stuff. I, I do it. Let me tell you some truth for some of you. Because you've grown up your whole life in religion, but not a relationship with Jesus. It isn't what you are searching that matters. It's how you search for Jesus. It isn't in the what. It's in the how. Jesus said, you are searching in the scriptures, but you're refusing to come to me. And there are a bunch of us, you come to church all the time, occasionally. You're watching online right now. Every once in a while, you open your Bible. You're searching in the right place, but you're still refusing to fully come to Jesus. And so he tells them at the end of this conversation, and I want you just to kind of take note of this because I think it bookends our story today. He tells them this in verse 46. But if you believe Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, you would believe me for he wrote of me. If you, the religious people, believe what that says, you would also believe what I'm saying because he wrote about me. He was telling you way back then who I was and that I was coming. And so then we get to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6 is a very familiar story for those of us who grew up in church. If you did not grow up in church, haven't been to church in a long time, don't really open your Bible to all of the scriptures. You may not be aware of this story, but I believe this story today in its simplest way can help you discover and figure some things out about Jesus, about faith, about trust, about hope that only come from him. At the beginning of John chapter 6, it says Jesus wants to take his disciples, his followers, and he wants to get away. He goes to another area of a place called the Sea of Galilee. He wants to take them off alone, and yet it says that a bunch of people started following him. So they're trying to get away. They're trying to clear their head. They're trying to get a little bit of rest. And it says a bunch of people have heard about him, watched him, seen this lame man who's been healed. They've heard the words he's been speaking about, about his claiming to be the son of God. And they want to know more. They want to figure this thing out. And so in verse four, it says, now the Passover, that's important to understand in the story. The feast of the Jews was at hand. The Passover was an annual festival commanded by God for the nation of Israel. They were to come together every year and celebrate the fact that when their ancestors in Egypt were slaves, God freed them and brought them to the promised land. That God rescued them. And so the Passover is about to happen. They're all getting ready to celebrate this. And it says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus says to one of his disciples, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I love that the scriptures actually tell us Jesus said this to test him. For some of you struggling to figure it out right now, God is testing you. You don't like it. You don't want it to be happening. You're hoping it's coming to an end. You definitely don't want it to be prolonged. You wish it was someone else. And God is saying, I'm testing you right now. 
I'm testing you for a purpose and a reason, just like I tested Philip and I tested many others. So Philip answers him, and this is what he says. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So in essence, he asks the question, where are we going to get all this money? 200 denarii was equivalent to six to eight months worth of income. So think about how much you make. Think about saving six to eight months of it. And that's what it would take to feed this crowd of people. And so Philip turns to Jesus and he's asking the question, where are we going to get that kind of money? Because that's what we do, right? We like to ask God all the questions and we expect him to answer all our questions. The problem is sometimes we're asking the wrong question. Actually, I would say most of the time we ask the wrong question in the midst of our circumstances. For many of you who are stuck in life right now, this is the question you're asking. How will I fix this? For those of you struggling in your marriage, how will I fix my marriage? How will I pay these bills? How will I provide for my family? For many of you, it's not about the how, it's about the where. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you are the source of your where, meaning where this is going to come from, how this is going to be fixed, you will find yourself empty when you begin seeking the how. When you're the one going, how will I fix this? How will I provide for this? How will I pay for this? You now become the source of the where this all comes from. Philip, where is this money going to come from? Because I don't got it. How's this going to happen? And Jesus is going, that's what I was testing you on. Do you trust that you're not the source of the where I am? It will come right where I'm from. And then you will see how it plays out. That this is what's beginning to happen in the midst of this story. And yet many times we, we think we have it figured out or we're, we're asking the right questions and we're starting to get some of the right answers and it still comes up empty. The woman in the vehicle, she had to look at her, her, at her dashboard and go, I'm on empty. I need gas. Where's the closest gas station? Hey, I need to make sure I pull up to a pump. I need to make sure my gas tank aligns with the pump so that I can actually get fuel in my car. But she just kept ending up doing circles and circles and circles and circles. And many of us find ourselves just spinning in circles and circles and circles saying something has to change, something has to be different, something has to break through, something has to happen, or I'm going to lose my mind. I cannot figure this out, and I am ready to give up. And I grew up with a pastor my whole life back in Lynchburg, Virginia, and he used to teach us this, and I remember hearing it as a child, as a college student, as a young adult. When we see an obstacle, God sees an opportunity. When you feel like you're staring down the barrel of an obstacle, you can't figure out. God is going, yep, I see an opportunity. I might be testing you, but I see an opportunity to work. It says this, now one of the disciples that was with Jesus in verse 8 
Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Jesus, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Once again, the question, so like we've got someone here, but it's just a boy and he doesn't have much. What we begin to learn about John chapter six is the boy is the central character in this story. This is where the focus shifts. We don't know his age. Some scholars say maybe the age 10, 12, as high as the age of 18. But you're taking a middle school slash high school boy in this story. Remember, it's Passover. So all these people in the story are traveling to Jerusalem by foot, maybe riding a donkey. I I don't know. But they're trying to get there. The Sea of Galilee, where this story is taking place, is somewhere around 90 miles from Jerusalem. So you're talking about a two to three day journey by foot. And they are carrying their belongings and all they have with them. They've heard about Jesus. They have found Jesus. They're trying to figure out Jesus. And now they're sitting on a hillside with him. And Jesus is looking at them going, all these people that have been listening for this time, they're hungry. And we got to do something about it. And this boy shows up. Now, we don't know anything about this boy. It doesn't give us his name. And as I said, it doesn't give us his age. It gives us one small picture into this boy's story. And it's found in this. This boy that they found here has five barley loaves and two fish. Barley loaves were made by people who were poor. If you didn't have enough money to buy wheat, to to have nicer bread, you would use barley instead. And so the only thing we know about this boy is that his family was probably poor. And these five barley loaves and these two fish weren't very much. And yet this is the center of the story that I believe today can help you figure out some things in your story. Now, I'm a parent. I've got two college kids, and I've got a soon-to-be now fourth grader. And so I think of things through the lens of a parent. I was a student pastor for 12 years of my life. Uh, in college and post-high school before we came here to start this church. And so I think about the, the life of a student often. Middle school and high school students. And I think about this boy. And, and I think about, in this story, the amount of excuses he could have come up with in his life. The amount of excuses. Now the story tells us that, that, that they not only found this boy with five barrelos and two fish, but what are they for so many? It tells us how many people show up. And so it tells us that there's about 5,000 of them that show up. Now that's a lot of people. What you may or may not understand is that most scholars believe the number is actually around 15 to 20,000 because it says 5,000 men. That's not including their wives and the rest of their household. And so when the disciples are going, for so many, yeah, 5,000 is a lot. But think about 15, 20,000 different people. And this boy shows up, and he has five barley loaves and two fish to give. Now, what if the boy, being a normal boy, said this? What if he said, it's not enough? What if he was thinking to himself, it's not enough? Like, what if he was looking at his basket and he was like, 5,000, 
15,000, 20,000. Yeah, that's definitely not enough. And what if it was just a little bit more than it's not enough, but I'm not enough? Because isn't that what a lot of you think about yourself every day? I'm not enough. I'm not enough for my spouse. I'm not enough for my children. I'm not enough for my boss. I'm not enough for my coach. I'm definitely not enough for Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm the least likeliest person Jesus would ever choose to use in any part of his story. And that thinking that I'm not enough is a powerful deception of the enemy. That he will speak to you every day of your life from keeping you from figuring out Jesus in your life. He will speak daily, you are not enough in your ear. So that you will just spin circles upon circles upon circles until you give up, you toss in the towel, you move on. And he steps back and goes, yeah, exactly what I wanted them to believe. And if you are someone here today who has been hearing that, or someone watching online who's been hearing that, you've been hearing it in your head, you've been hearing it from your spouse, you've been hearing it from your children, you've been hearing it from a boss, a coworker, a coach, you're not enough, you don't have enough, you'll never be enough. This is the only place you will ever find this truth, that you're not enough is more than enough when you're willing to bring it to Jesus. You're not enough. It's more than enough if you will just bring it to Jesus. And some of you haven't heard that for far too long. And today you need to block out the noise of the enemy and you need to listen and hear, as Jesus said, the truth about what he believes and thinks about you. No matter what your past looked like, no matter how long and how far and how deep it goes, your enough at this moment is more than enough if you will just bring it to Jesus. And then what if the boy really, really thought it's not enough? What, what if he truly, truly thought this isn't enough? Let, let's just say he's on the younger end of being a boy. Parents, how good are your kids at sharing their food? Like, like honestly, like how many of us know our kids usually are living with, that's mine. No, no, give your brother or sister a little bit. No. They're like measuring the cereal bowl, going, they got more than I did. That sort of a deal. All the time. All the time. And this young boy could have been like, no. It's not even enough anyways. He could have been thinking, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. This is all my family has. This is all we've got for ourselves. It's not enough for everyone else out there. It's barely enough for us. Jesus will totally understand that we're just kind of providing and protecting ourselves. Our family needs to eat. What will we do tomorrow if we give all this away? Who will take care of us? And some of us live that way. It's not that it's not enough. It's just not enough in our own heads for Jesus to use. And what you need to hear today is that your lack of resources does not limit God's work or response 
when you're willing to bring it before Jesus. The lack of resources that you currently have in your time, in your ability, in your gifts, in your talents, in your money, whatever it is that God has blessed you with in your resources, Jesus says, bring that. It's more than enough and watch how I multiply it and do something magnificent with it. And the reason you can't figure this out is because you keep living in your own lie that it's not enough for Jesus. And the scriptures tells us that when we're faithful with little, we will be trusted with much. And some of us are not faithful with what we have and we're expecting God to multiply and do more. But I can't figure him out. I can't figure this thing called faith out. I can't figure out what Jesus looks like in my own life. What if the boy asked this question? What if the boy didn't want to respond because he wasn't old enough? What if he legitimately said, I'm not old enough. I'm just a kid. We don't have his age. We don't have his name. But there's something powerful in this story. It is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels outside the resurrection of Jesus. It's the only one that every writer of the Gospel said, we got to tell this story. We got to make sure, although we all have accounts of what Jesus did, and we've all written them down, and we think that the resurrection is the greatest miracle that could ever happen, we got to tell about this boy and this miracle. Because he's a boy who probably didn't think he was old enough to ever be used by God. And there's a bunch of you that you sit around and you are students, middle school, high school, college, and you go, I'm too young, God can't use me. And yet Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but you be the example for everyone else. Well, God will use me when I get older. Or then I'll let him use me when I get older. But right now, I'm just a kid, and he totally understands that. And then you sit around and you say, as a kid, I can't really figure out Jesus right now. Maybe it's because you're living in this excuse. And then there's the other side of the spectrum. There's a bunch of people who say, I'm too old. My time is done. I've lived my life. I'm just trying to finish up well. And he can use other people. Need I remind you that Abraham was over 100. Moses was 80. God is never done with you as long as you're breathing. There's always a purpose deep down inside of you from God. And so this boy could have asked question after question after question. But I will tell you this. What they begin to discover in the story is that when you bring your ordinary to Jesus, he will do the extraordinary. That's what begins to happen in this story. That's what begins to take place in this story. The crowds have followed. Jesus has been teaching on who he is, what he has to bring, eternal life, the truth of the scriptures. 15 to 20,000 people are now sitting and listening. And this boy responds. Here's what we begin to learn about these stories. We never know who. We never know who. We learned last week, no matter their wealth, rich or poor, no matter their age, women, children, men, God is looking to use in his story. And because we don't know, 
we got to be ready to respond. No matter how old we are, no matter what stage of life we're in, no matter how much money we have or we don't have, we have to be ready to respond. Now let me tell you something about the story. In this day and time in this culture, the men were supposed to be the leaders of their home. Like they are today. And the men were the ones that were supposed to respond and act first. First and foremost. And so when Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is talking about who he is, and Jesus is declaring what he has to bring, and Jesus now knows there's a need, guess who should have responded first? Any of the men, the 5,000 men there that day. But what does the story tell us? Obviously, none of them do. And that's the sad tragedy of men today. God is looking and calling on you, and you keep refusing to come to him. So you could leave that there, or you could begin to say, okay, well, in the pecking order, if the men didn't respond, then of course the women did. I mean, that's what women do, right? Like, women love to help. It's like wired inside of them. Like, my mom wants to help everybody. My mom wanted to cook for everybody. My mom would always cook for like 33 people when there'd be four of us at the table. And we'd be like, Mom, why do you have so much food? She's like, well, I thought maybe someone was coming over. No one is. Well, we just have, we have leftovers for the next two weeks. We're good. Right? But what do we see in the story? Men didn't respond. They refused. Obviously, neither did the women. And then we get stuck in this story. And in the scriptures, a few times, it says from the least to the greatest. The least meaning children. And the greatest meaning those that were older and wiser in life. Maybe even grandparents, the elderly in the community. And it was supposed to start there and work its way down. And no one would have expected a child to be the only one to respond. But the child does. Some of you have grown too old. Too old. And because you've grown too old in your mind, you are missing what Jesus has to offer. There's another piece of the story. When I think about this story, this is what I think about. Can you see that? Can you see that on the camera? Two fish, five loaves. I had Don Tantillo who fishes every day of his life in his church catch me those fish yesterday. Literally had him texted this week. I was like, I need two fish for this story. I know you're fishing somewhere in a retention pond. Just catch me too. So, so I'm, 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 I look at this story, and I've grown up in church. I've heard this story. And I think, like, that, that's what the basket looked like. It, it looks good. Like, it's good five loaves of bread, two fish. Like, that's the picture ingrained in my head. And then as I was studying to teach this to you, I came across story and scholar who said, listen, if this boy had five barley loaves and was poor, his basket probably didn't look like that. Two good fish and five nice loaves of bread. He said, it probably looks something more like this. 
And when you look at that, you go, oh, that don't look great. That doesn't look like something I would care for. Like that, like that one. If I put them up here and told you, come choose a basket, which one are you walking off with? It, it's, the, the bread would have been more like the unleavened bread of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, Passover story. Because it was made of barley and it wouldn't, it wouldn't rise like, like wheat would the right way. And the fish, because they were poor, they probably more the dried up, some believe as small as like sardines. And Jesus is teaching, this is who I am. This is why I'm here. This is what I have to offer. You've been searching everywhere to figure this out. And the truth is right in front of you. If you'll hear it and you'll believe it. And this boy looks in his basket and goes, I ain't got much. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody would really even want this. But I believe that guy right there is who he says he is. And I'm going to go give him my basket. Here's what we learn about the people Jesus chooses. Jesus chooses the people willing to surrender whatever's in their basket. Whatever's in their basket. It's not enough. It's more than enough. It won't be enough. Watch me multiply it. I'm not old enough. Oh, I got plans for you. Just give me what's in the basket. Just bring me the basket. If you just surrender what's in the basket, I can do a miracle. And so the story tells us that Jesus takes the five loaves. Don't think that. Think this. And he breaks them. And he gives thanks. And when he does, it says that he distributed it to them. All of those who are seated and also the fish. And guess what? They got as much as they wanted in the crowd that day. Remember Simon said, there's not enough, even a little bit, to give to these people. And when the people had eaten their fill, he told his disciples this. He told them to eat and them to be filled. Next screen. And then he tells them, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Can, can you imagine for a moment thinking, you don't have enough. And Jesus says, it's not only more than enough. When I'm done with it, there'll be leftovers. And I'm not wasting those either. I'll continue to use those. So what you barely think is enough, I see as plenty and more than enough. And none of it, if you'll surrender it, will not be wasted. None of it. None of it. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And then it says this. The people there that day, 15 to 20,000 people saw the sign that he had done. And they said this. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. The prophet that has come into the world. Oh, the one Moses was writing about that Jesus told them. You have Moses. You know what he said. He wrote about me. Now you finally get it. You're figuring it out. If you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling to give your life to Jesus, 
if you're struggling to find your purpose and your worth and your value and all you think is it's not enough, he says, just bring me the basket, surrender whatever's in it, no matter how little, and I'll do something with it. Something you cannot do on your own. Thank you for tuning into the Genesis Church Podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If you want to connect more with Genesis Church, you can find all of our information at www.genesischurchorlando.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Genesis Church Orlando.